The message on this tape ends rather suddenly, but you only miss the last few seconds. So we hope you enjoy the message. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you've given us truth. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit now will just teach us the truth. Oh, Father, we pray that your truth will get into our hearts and that you'll enable us to live it out. Lord, when James wrote his letter in the Bible, he talked about the implanted word. Lord, we pray that that's what happened, that it'll just be implanted in us and grow and become part of our experience. Oh, Father, just give us understanding tonight because we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Right, well, if you have your Bibles open at 1 Corinthians 14, and uh, we're doing a series on the whole subject of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as Paul outlines in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's just very quickly recap what we've covered so far. We've, <coughs> we're homing in primarily on the word gifts, and I've already explained to you why that is, and we'll be coming back to that a little bit later on. But what we've been through so far is that we've looked at the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. And when we were dealing with the gift of tongues, we noted that there are two different types. There's what I called personal tongues, the language that every believer can have, just between them and the Lord. And then there's public ministry tongues. The idea of public ministry tongues being that everyone who's gathered, who heard the tongue that was given, can hear an interpretation of it and know what it meant. So on tongues, we saw there was the personal gift of tongues, but we saw also there was a public ministry of tongues, whereby the tongue that is spoken gets interpreted. And what we did then, we moved on to ask the question, what's the difference between an interpreted tongue and a prophecy. Because most people assume that if you get a tongue that is then interpreted, that's the same as a prophecy. And we saw last time that that certainly wasn't the case at all. We saw that there was a profound difference between an interpreted tongue and a prophecy. And we saw that the nature of tongues is always man to God. And we saw that a tongue is always prayer or praise or thanksgiving, intercession, something like that. And we saw that the application of the true gift of tongues and interpretation, when it is understood, is that it enables the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon the meeting to enable us to pray and praise and worship in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we saw as well that there can be times when perhaps you're ministering to somebody. And when we're used to using tongues and interpretation correctly, in those times when someone needs prayer and you just do not know what to pray, then if the Lord gives a tongue through somebody, the interpretation will be precisely the prayers that need to be made at that time. And you know precisely how the Lord wants you to minister to that person on that particular occasion. <coughs> so last time, what we saw was that tongues and interpretation is always man to God. It's always what we need to say to Jesus. But prophecy, and this is what we're going to move on to tonight, prophecy is what God wants to say to us. And you'll remember the picture that we used last time. 
Because of course there's an order in worship and we saw that in Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 14 when he gives the rules for using these gifts he first of all outlined the rules for tongues interpretation and then he gave the rules for prophecy because there's an order and the order is that tongues and interpretation makes way for prophecy to come remember tongues and interpretation is man speaking to God it's worship, it's praise, it's making our needs known and we saw that <coughs> we are subjects of King Jesus and when subjects of a kingdom come to see their king they come to adore him, they come to worship him, they come to make their needs known to him because he has the means to meet their needs. But then, once that has, is done, then the king speaks to his subjects. And that is prophecy. And that is what we're going to be moving on to tonight. We're going to look at what Paul calls the gift of prophecy and to find out exactly what it means and to see what we can find out from the scriptures about this particular gift. <coughs> Let's start with the Greek word for it, prophecy, prophetia. And it comes from two Greek words, and it's very simple, pro, which means forth, and femi, which is the verb to speak. And it literally means to speak forth, to say something, or to affirm something. It's a general term. But obviously, using it in the specific context of the gift of prophecy... What we have with the gift of prophecy, it's when somebody says what God is saying. We're going to see that prophecy is a message that God communicates to people gathered through a particular individual who is there. So it's saying what God is saying. It's what God wants to communicate to you at a particular time. <coughs> and whatever it is, it is quite, it can encompass the past, or the present, or the future. Many examples in the Bible of prophecy, when God actually tells people through somebody what's going to happen. Prophecies concerning the future are quite valid. However, as we, you know, go through this, we'll be looking at the rules, and, and I'll be giving you a few hints to find out whether a prophecy is genuine or not. But nevertheless, what the gift of prophecy is, it is God speaking directly through a human channel. And what is said can relate either to the past, to the present, or to the future. Any of those um, are completely valid. Now, <coughs> we can understand a lot about this gift by finding out what it's for. I mean, okay, we know it's a message from God through somebody. I mean, that says what it is, but what's it for? What is its nature? And that what we're going to do is we're going to see the five things that prophecy will accomplish. All right. Now, you should be open in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians 14. And the first three we're going to look at, you'll find in verse 3. All right. And Paul says, on the other hand, he who prophesies speaks to men. Can you see that prophecy is always God to man? He who prophesies speaks to men for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now, they're the, there are two other things, but they're the first three that we're going to home in on to see exactly what prophecy is for. And the first thing we see it's for is to upbuild. Now this is our old friend edify, oikodomeo, the Greek word, to build a house, quite specifically. 
And that here, <coughs> Paul says that this is exactly what the gift of prophecy is for. It is to build all of us up in the faith. We've seen that tongues does that to an extent. Now we're seeing that prophecy is going to do it as well. But if you go down into verse 6, this is just interesting what Paul says here. He says, now brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, and he's talking about tongues that don't get interpreted, which of course are useless, because you, you, know, you don't know what they mean. They're okay for the person speaking in tongues, but no good for anyone else. He says, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how shall I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Now Paul says there that prophecy, amongst other things, it will benefit us. If, you're, if something is building you up, it's going to benefit you. And here, because we're talking about uh, the gift of prophecy, <coughs> it's going to benefit us spiritually. Now, really, if you talk about to benefit somebody spiritually, that's another way of saying it's going to improve them morally. And this is a very, very important part of the gift of prophecy. Paul says it's to benefit us. Now you think about it, a benefit. Now think of social security, the benefits on the social security. Now what happens is, is that if you get social security benefits, you get money that you didn't have. Alright, can you see? And you need that money because there are lots of things we've all got to do to live, eat, drink, pay the rent and stuff like that. If you haven't got any money, you can't do those things. So if you go along to the social security and you get your sort of benefits from them you then have the money that you didn't have before and you can now do things that otherwise you couldn't have done can you see the social security gives you money because you haven't got any so once you've got the money the benefits you can then do things that you couldn't do before now that is precisely one of the uh, jobs of the gift of prophecy now we're not talking about you know social security and having money but we need our spiritual resources from God we need the life of Jesus to be flowing through us there are many many things which we know we ought to be able to do but we can't do sin in our lives that we ought to be free of but we're not free of and the lovely thing about prophecy is that it is one of the ways to benefit us it is one of the ways God uses to enable us to do things when we've received prophecy that perhaps we couldn't do before we received it. And one of the things that you've got to note about this gift is that at every point as we go through this, we're going to see it's definite. One of the things that I think perhaps is sad, I mean, I would say that a very large percentage of prophecies that I've heard in my Christian life I really can't say they're prophecies. They might be quotes from the Bible. They might, people might, but they're so wishy-washy. Can you, you hear me? You think, well, well, so what? And we're going to see that true prophecy is very, very, sort of, it's a definite thing. And one of the things it will do, it will improve us morally by enabling us to receive from God something that we didn't have before. And so, therefore, as we become the subjects of prophecy, and prophecy, as we're going to see, is meant to be very, very frequent in the church, not a rarity like it is today, but very, very frequent, one of the things that's going to happen in our lives as we become the subjects of true words from God 
is that we're going to find ourselves becoming a little bit freer from sin and a little bit more aware of Jesus. Can you see? Because it's going to build us up. And of course, when God builds up our lives, he only builds up that which is good. He only builds up that which is of Jesus. So in prophecy, we're going to be strengthened in the righteousness of God for Jesus to live through us, overcoming the sin and the weakness in our lives. So firstly, prophecy is going to improve us morally. It's going to make us more aware of Jesus and therefore become part of the process whereby God is delivering us from the power of sin in our lives. So there's the first one, it's for upbuilding. Now the second thing that Paul says is that it is for encouragement. Um, encouragement, that's right. He who prophesies speaks to men for their upbuilding and encouragement. <coughs> now there are lots of words in the Greek that their English counterparts don't, they don't really sort of express the fullness of what the Greek word means. And that's why we're going to be doing a bit of Greek tonight. Because this word here, to encourage, in the Greek, it's paraklesis. Now, this is a word we've come across before, because the Holy Spirit is the paracletus, the comforter or the counsellor. Again, it comes from two Greek words, para, which means to the side, and kalio, which means to call. And it literally means one who is called alongside. It's actually the Greek term for a defence lawyer. You call a lawyer to your assistance to defend you. And that's what this word actually means and that what we've got <coughs> is that one of the functions of prophecy is that in prophecy the Lord himself draws alongside you in the situation you're in that is giving you difficulty can you see this is what encouragement means it's when the Lord, in the situation we're in, and often we, you know, we're not, I mean, you know, we know in theory that the Lord understands, but sometimes we just need that, that word of encouragement. And it's when he draws alongside and he speaks into the situation we're in that is calling us, which is causing us to stumble or doing our brains in or whatever it is. And it makes you aware that Jesus is in that situation with you and that he knows exactly what he is doing. Now that's what encouragement means in the Greek, to draw alongside to help somebody. I mean, the kind of picture is that if you're drooping, someone comes alongside of you, they put their arm around you and hold you up. That is the picture, and that Jesus wants to be free to do that in our lives, and one of the ways he wants to do it is through the gift of prophecy. <coughs> now, that's encouragement in the Greek, paraklesis, but let's actually have a look at the English word, all right? So this, is, this is quite interesting. If you break the English word, encouragement, down, what you get is encourage, courage, all right? And courage, you've got the idea of to embolden or to make brave. That is inherent in the English meaning of the word encourage. The active bit of the word being courage, all right. <coughs> now, if you could just be turned, keep, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 14. Just go to Acts chapter 28, because there's something important here that we need to understand. You remember, I am sure, the adverts on telly for that beer, the Courage Ale, alright? Courage Ale, do you remember? 
Oh, well, it was all, all the rage. But there's a beer called Courage Ale. And I want to get this grounded in Scripture. In Acts 28, verse 15, we read this. Um, and the brethren there, when they heard of us, came as far as the forum of a pious and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage, you see. So it's perfectly scriptural, all right? But you see, <laughs> no, but the point I'm making is that, I mean, people talk about Dutch courage, don't they? Uh, that, that a lot of people are braver after they've had a drink. Now, one of the things that we've done here before is I've showed you that in the New Testament, the baptism or fullness of the Holy Spirit is often compared to drunkenness. Uh, at Pentecost, the people in Jerusalem thought that the disciples were drunk, all right? And then in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, Be not drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And again, you have that a kind of a comparison drawn between drunkenness and being baptised in the Spirit. And in actual fact, drunkenness is, and this will be the same for hallucinogenic drugs, you know, sort of dope and speed and things like that, is that all these things are one of the satanic counterfeits of the baptism in the Spirit. Let me explain. What happens when you get drunk? Well, I'll tell you. A spirit that was outside of you, alcohol, gets inside you, and makes you act in a way that you wouldn't normally. Now I can't think of a better definition of being baptised in the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit gets into you and he makes you act and live in a way that you wouldn't normally. Can you see? And one of the things about drunkenness, and this is a bad thing, is it does, it gives people courage that they don't normally have. Now we're not interested in the drunkenness aspect, but can you see that being filled with the Spirit, and when we're filled again through prophecy, because boy, when you know that the Lord has spoken to you directly, that gives us all a top up, doesn't it? And that therefore, in the same way that drunks get brave, therefore, can you see how prophecy is going to give us courage as well? Not the Dutch courage, you know, of courage beer, but the courage of actually the Lord himself. And in Acts 4.31, and this was after the disciples were arrested and whipped and beaten and stuff like that, they all got together, all right, and they had a prayer meeting. And their one prayer was really, you know, Lord, can you, can you use us even more? That was, that was their, you know, the authorities were trying to stop them. And they were saying, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal. Lord, use us even more. And what it says is that they were filled with the Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, again, can you see the link between encouragement and boldness? <clears throat> and in Proverbs 28, verse 1, the writer says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. Courage, boldness, bravery goes hand in hand with being close to Jesus. And I'll tell you at least one of the reasons. If you're close to Jesus, there is no one you cannot look in the eye. That is a terrific thing when there is no one you cannot look in the eye because your conscience is utterly 100% clear. Not because you haven't sinned against people, you have, so have I. But because when you have, you have apologised to them. 
And even if they still have a problem with you afterwards, that is their problem. You know that you're forgiven. Now, can you see the courage that a clean conscience gives you? Whereas, <coughs> when you get Christians who aren't right with God, and they're not right with other people, you find that there's a hedginess about them. And definitely put them in close contact with other Christians who are right with God, and you find that, you know, that, that suddenly they're getting a little bit shaky. Can you see? Because there's nothing more weakening to someone than a conscience that is pricking them, you see. And so at all points, to be close to Jesus is certainly going to give us boldness, bravery, courage. And this is one of the things that the gift of prophecy is uh, for. Uh, again, back to the adverts. I don't really watch adverts that much, but do you remember the advert for new bold washing powder? Yes. Well, what we need are loads of new bold Christians cleaning up society, you see. And that God wants us out there absolutely unafraid to say what needs to be said. Unafraid to be laughed at by people. Unafraid that people might think you're a nut or something like that. And I've often said before, I am a nut, but at least I'm screwed onto the right bolt. But can you see? It's a question of having that courage of the Lord. And that that is one of the things that prophecy will do. It will make us brave again. Because the Lord understands the myriad of things that put fear in us. Whether it's big things like fear of losing your wife, or whether it's little things like fear of what somebody thinks. The Lord understands that we're beset by fears. And in fact, in the Bible, the phrase fear not occurs 365 times, which is one for every day of the year. And on leap year, you have to use one twice. But can you see, if the Bible says fear not that many times, can you see the Lord understands how fear of whatever can get a grip on us? <coughs> and he wants, by speaking to us, he wants to make us brave again. He wants to take that fear away. So the gift of prophecy, at all points... Again, another of the things it will do is it will take away fear and it will take away timidity. And you remember when Paul wrote to Timothy, one of the things he said is that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. Now, that spirit of power and love and self-control is the Holy Spirit, and he is the same Holy Spirit who is inspiring the true gift of prophecy when it comes through somebody to the rest of us. So can you see, it's going to make us brave again. It's going to encourage us in the full sense of the word. Again, can you see that this is definite? I'm trying to show you there's nothing wishy-washy about true prophecy. If your experience of prophecy has always been that the scratch your head and think, oh, well, it might have been for somebody else. I mean, if that has only been your experience of prophecy, you probably haven't yet experienced true prophecy. The true gift of prophecy is a powerful gift, and it's a wonderful gift for the reasons that we're seeing. The third thing Paul says it does, it's for consolation. Speaks to men for their consolation. Now then, the Greek word, paramuthia, again, from two words, para, to the side, we've seen that already, and muthos, which means speech or conversation. Now this word, paramuthia, translated consolation, in my Bible here, the RSV, in the AV, it gets translated comfort, alright. 
And what you've got, again, in prophecy, the Lord draws alongside of you, and we've seen that sort of, like, encouragement is he draws alongside of you and he kind of puts his arm around you and, and sort of holds you up and stuff like that. But specifically, what we've got in consolation, which means, you know, it comes from the verb, you know, to speak or to have a conversation, is it's when the Lord comes alongside of you in your situation <laughs> and says just the thing that you need to hear. You see what I mean? He speaks that word which above all others you need to hear. Jesus' personal little message to you in your difficult time. And believe me, Jesus' personal little messages to us are what we live on. Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which is proceeding from the mouth of the Father. That's the literal Greek, every word which is continuously proceeding. Now, God speaks in many ways, primarily through the Bible. All other forms of God speaking have to be tested by the Bible. But prophecy is one way of God speaking. And it's when you get that personal little message from Jesus, which enables you to share the pain or the difficulty or the burden of that situation with him. See, one of the difficult things about us is that we often, we don't know how to share our burdens with Jesus. Do you remember Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Now that is a statement of fact. I'll say that again. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If that is true, why is it that so many of us as Christians spend so much time weighed down by pressure? whatever that pressure may be. And it's because we haven't learned to let Jesus carry our burdens. I heard a story once, um, you know, sort of like 100 odd years ago out in the country, and uh, when it was all horse and carts and stuff like that, and this guy had been to market and he bought a big sack of coal, you see, to take home. And he had a couple of miles to walk home, and he was trudging along the road with it, and it was at night, and it was raining, and stuff like that. And a bloke came along with a horse and cart, and that he was sitting up the front, and had the cart behind. And he said, oh, I'll give you a lift, mate, hop on, you see, so the bloke jumped on. Anyway, eventually, they arrive at the village, and he turns round and say, here you are, mate, and he sees him, standing on the back of the cart, holding the sack of coal. And he said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I didn't want to tie a horse out. You see? Now, that's what we do. We carry burdens when all we've got to do is put them down. But the Lord understands that often we don't know how to share our burdens. Let's face it, we have sinful natures. We are so used to sorting out our own problems, thanks very much. We're so used to carrying the burden of the world on our shoulders. You know, as if, if you know, sort of like a double-decker bus got you tomorrow. I mean, the rest of the world's at it, haven't they? Because you were the one who was carrying the burdens of it. Can you see? Now, through prophecy, the Lord speaks that which we need to enable us to let the burden go to him. So that we come into the experience of the fact that his burden is light. It's not a problem. It's only because we're standing on the back of that car, still holding the sack of coal. All we've got to do is to put it down. Let's think of some other variations on this word, consolation. Help us to, to, to give a, a rounded view of what Paul is saying here. Uh, one of the words close to consolation is a console. 
alright and a console <coughs> is a framework which holds the necessary parts together i.e. if you get into a jumbo jet that massive console all the switches and dials are in a main framework and they're held together by that framework that's a console uh, or if you go into a recording studio they've got all the mixers and you've got hundreds of these knobs and buttons and slides and stuff like that and they're all held together in the console to console something is literally to hold it together that's what the word means now think about it the Lord wants to console us through prophecy. We're not saying this is the only way that he wants to console us. There are others, but prophecy is one way. We're not saying that prophecy is only to console us, but it's one of the things it will do if it's needed. And that, you see, there are times for many of us when we feel at the point that we're about to fall to bits, don't we? And what we need is a console. We need something to hold us together. And sometimes it's through prophecy through which the Lord comes in and when you're going to pieces or when you're about to fall apart or maybe have already fallen apart to receive the word of the Lord through prophecy is that which enables you to be put back together again so that you're able to realize that it's the Lord holding you together anyway. Can you see? It's not our responsibility to hold ourselves together. But when we are falling apart, we need consolation. We need, uh, if you like, a console put round all our bits which are now strewn all over the floor. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to hold us together. And prophecy is one of the ways that he wants to do that. But there's yet another word that comes from this same word, consolation or console. And it's to consolidate. Again, another related word. And to consolidate means to strengthen and unite. Alright? To consolidate. Uh, if you consolidate your forces, you, you bring them all together and you work out what you've got. You, you, you kind of get them emphasised where they're needed. You gather your forces together. Alright? Now, literally, there are times when we need to consolidate. We need to pull ourselves together. Can you see? Again, if we're falling apart or all over the shop, we need to pull ourselves together. And in prophecy at times, the Lord speaks precisely that word that you need to hear in order for you to do that. So can you see this thing about consolation? The Lord wants to come alongside to speak that specific word, that, that little message, that personal message from Jesus with your name on it that is that which you need in order to realize again the Lord is there to realize again that everything is fine don't care what it looks like everything is fine believe me in this universe if Jesus is Lord everything is fine even the things that are wrong and the evil yes there's much wrong and there's much evil but Jesus has got it under control and if he says that in everything he works together for good to them that love him and accord according to his purposes that means for you and I as believers everything is fine and there is nothing to fall to bits about at all and prophecy can be the means whereby that little bit of divine truth just gets inside of us and is that which we need in order to be strong in the Lord again okay so there's three things it does it upbuilds it encourages 
and it brings consolation. Go down to verse 31, two very quick ones here. <clears throat> Paul says, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn. You may, we, we will learn truth through prophecy. Can you see? You won't learn any new truth. You won't learn any new revelation that isn't in the Bible. Of course you won't. But the point is, prophecy is true. It will teach you something about God. Let's face it. What people say teaches us, it says something about them. Prophecy is God speaking. I mean, you'll see someone else's mouth moving, yeah, but it is God speaking. And it tells us something about the person who's saying it. It tells us something about the Lord. Therefore, true prophecy is going to teach us. It will home in on truths about God, truths that are in the Bible that we need to have underlined and applied to us in that particular moment. Let me just go off at a slight digression here. Because this is one of the really important things about Bible teaching. Can you, obviously, Bible teaching is to enable people to learn. That's what it's for, you know, to learn about the Bible. But all Bible teaching should be prophetic as well. Can you see what I'm saying here? For instance, um, if, say, uh, sort of like you go along somewhere and you've been invited to go along and to teach, okay, and you go along, um, the only thing that matters is that you bring to those people the teaching that God wants them to have at that time. So, for instance, if I'm asked to go and speak somewhere, I mean, I don't say, oh, well, oh, yeah, I fancy that one about so-and-so that I did the other day. That's a good one. I'll use that. Or, uh, oh, I think it would be nice to sort of teach about predestination or something like that. There are thousands of things in the Bible that you could preach about. And all of them are true, and all of them are important. But what you must do is you want to say, Lord, which is the bit of truth you want them taught about now? Can you see? It's no use going along and just saying something that's scriptural. I mean, don't say something that's unscriptural, but it's got to be God's now word. At this conference we were at last week, um, I mean, it's a church we've only been to once, and, you know, it's sort of like hundreds of miles away, but we went to their conference in Wales. And it's like by the second day, the leaders had to actually announce to the church that I hadn't been filled in. I said to them, I don't want to know anything about the church. If you tell me, that might spoil the way I'm hearing God. And I specifically said, I don't want to know about the problems you've got. And they had to make an announcement that they hadn't put me up to the things I was preaching. <laughs> Can you see? Because I simply asked the Lord what he wanted me to teach on. So therefore, to have gone along and given thoroughly scriptural teaching on the subject that wasn't relevant would have been useless. So all Bible teaching in that sense needs to be prophetic as well. It's not enough for it to be true according to the Word of God. It's got to be the truth in the Word of God that the Holy Spirit wants put across at that moment. I mean, we're not now doing a series on the gifts of the Spirit just because, you know, we thought, oh yeah, that would be nice. I wasn't planning to do a series on the gifts of the Spirit here at all. And then over a period of two or three days, I knew that that is what God wanted us to do. And that's why we're doing it. I had other plans for what we were going to be doing between now and Christmas, but they've all been junked. Because that wasn't what God wanted. We're doing the gifts of the Spirit. So can you see that Bible teaching as well has got to be prophetic 
in the sense that it is God's now word, what he's wanting to say to people at that particular moment. And then the fifth thing that prophecy does, <coughs> or can do, if you go down into verse 24, and Paul says, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. One of the things that the gift of prophecy will do um, is that, say, you get someone who's uh, maybe an unbeliever, not converted, or maybe a Christian who is away from God, not right with God, for whatever reason. A prophecy can come through which they know is about them. No one else will. No one else will. I mean, I mean I've heard of people who've got ministries of revealing sin in public. Uh, you know, I mean, I see no scriptural precedent for that. You know, when you're literally pointed out. I mean, that, no. No, you know, no way. But the point is that if a prophecy pinpoints something wrong in somebody's life, whether they be an unbeliever or whatever, or a Christian who's not right with God. Can you see how God would use that to speak to them and they know that that is God speaking to them? I mean, I heard sort of once a guy, uh, he went along to a meeting and he was an unbeliever. And he went along to this meeting and he was actually going out to do a robbery that night. He was a burglar. And he had one plan for that night. And he ended up at this meeting because some friends of his had got converted. And the bloke up the front, I mean, not that it matters it's a bloke up the front, in that particular instance it was the bloke up the front who was preaching, had a prophecy and sort of said that you've come in here tonight, but when you leave you plan to do evil, you plan to rob, you see. But if you'll get right with God now, he can deliver you. And, you know, of course this bloke sits there, no one else knew he was going to do a job, can you see? And of course he was convicted. It doesn't guarantee that they're going to get saved, that's their decision, but boy, it'll guarantee they get convicted of sin and realise that they need to be saved even if they rebel against Jesus and don't. So that is one use. However, I want to emphasise again, I mean, fortunately, you know, these so-called, you know, ministries aren't too widespread, but sometimes you hit upon people and it's like they've got a prophetic ministry of actually exposing sin in people's lives publicly. That's not what I'm talking about. This is done anonymously, can you see? Because it's in a meeting and nobody knows who it's about. If they want to own up to it afterwards, they're free to do so. But, I mean, can you see the difference? But nevertheless, the secrets of men's heart who aren't right with God, be they Christians out of fellowship or be they unbelievers, the secrets of their heart can be disclosed so that they're given the chance to get right with God and they can fall down and worship and, and admit, declare that God is amongst you. So there are the uses for the gift of prophecy. Now, having sort of uh, gone through that lot I think you'll agree that it's uh, it's quite a gift wouldn't you uh, it's not the wishy-washy kind of thing that slips through for prophecy in most places I mean this is a really terrific gift and because it's so terrific therefore is I mean we might think that well it, I mean the, a gift like this is, is only for for the super duper Christians isn't it 
I mean, for heaven's sake, I mean, this, this is for the experienced ones, you know. I mean, this is people in full-time ministry, uh, people who've been Christians 93 years, can you see? And, of course, you know, sort of us, the run-of-the-mill common or garden Christians, this, this isn't for us, is it? It's a bit specialist for the likes of you and me, isn't it? Well, let's, let's, um, let's actually see. 1 Corinthians 14, and I'm going to read a series of verses. You listen to what the Bible teaches about this. First of all, in verse 1, make love your aim and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Blanket statement. Paul is not there referring to some Christians. He's writing to a Christian church. He says, earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially that you may prophesy. Verse 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. And we established in one of the earlier studies that the gift of tongues is for every Christian. Not every Christian manages to come through in it, and it don't matter. But the point is, the gift of tongues is for everybody, and we've established it through this verse. Paul says, <coughs> I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. See? Isn't it funny, the way Christians pick out things arbitrarily out of the Bible. And there's always been this big controversy. Are all Christians supposed to speak in tongues? Well, yeah, the answer to that controversy is yeah, they are, because the Bible teaches. But can we now have another one about prophecy, please? I mean, what's the big deal about tongues? Paul's here is saying that prophecy is for everybody. But even more, I want you to prophesy. Verse 24. He says, but if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider comes in, he's convicted by all. Paul is assuming that they are all doing it. Alright? And then verse 31. And this is the clincher. For you can all prophesy one by one. How? Did we miss this? Why is it that we've only honed in on tongues in the Christian church, in the charismatic movement? Emphasising to everyone, got to speak in tongues, got to speak in tongues. Well, what happened to prophecy? The Bible says you may all prophesy one by one. Now, there's something interesting here. When we were looking at the gift of personal tongues, we saw there was a uniqueness to it. You could turn it on and off at will. Now, you can't do that with prophecy. But with tongues, you can turn it on and off at will. That's its uniqueness. And it's unique like that for this reason. You're given your personal tongue to build you up, to edify you. Alright? To strengthen you. We saw it as a battery charger. Or like a radio tuner. You use it to tune into God's transmission. So you can pick up the other gifts of the Spirit as well. You see. And so we saw that tongues, your personal tongues, builds you up personally. So the individual gift of tongues is to build the individual up. He can do it any time he likes. Therefore, it is for everybody because it's such a wonderful gift. Can you see, God is not going to give some Christians an advantage. He wants everyone to have it because it builds you up. That's why it's so valuable. But you see, the thing is that prophecy, according to Paul, is the most valuable gift, alright? 
because it builds everybody up so powerfully. All right, tongues builds us up personally, fine, absolutely good. But can you see the powerful effect that prophecy, true prophecy, is going to have in a Christian fellowship? Prophecy is biblically the most valuable gift. So therefore, it shouldn't come as any surprise, God being a God of grace, that prophecy is the other gift that everyone can have. Can you see? There are two gifts that you can have, and there's no question about it. They're there for you. It's tongues and it's prophecy. Now, isn't, isn't that our God of grace? Tongues is the very best thing for you to have personally because it builds you up. Prophecy is the very best thing you can have to serve the church. So the Bible says, right, you can have them both. Now, that's God, isn't it? Can you see? There's no super-duper Christians in this at all. This is available for all of us. All we need to do is to, to be open to what the Lord actually wants. And again, let me emphasize the reason that Paul spends so much time teaching on the word gifts as opposed to the others. Tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. And the reason we're homing in on it in such detail is because the Bible does. And in fact, next time we're going to do the rest of the gifts in one study and we'll sail through them. Not a lot to say, believe me. Paul didn't have much to say about them, but this lot, tongues, interpretation and prophecy, he did. And the reason that they're so important is because they're, they're the springboard to the rest of the gifts. Can you see? They're the way in to moving in the gifts of the Spirit. I really don't think that uh, a fellowship should, should, should start with, with healing and the working of miracles. Do you see what I mean? All you've got to do is to look at the majority of those who have. They've got nowhere. If we concentrate on the word gifts, which is the biblical priority, as we become free in these word gifts, then we will become free in the other gifts as well. The word gifts are simple as acts of faith compared to healing the sick or raising the dead or, or working miracles. Can you see? There's not so much demand on our faith to move in the word gifts as there is the others. Now then, he remembers our frame. He knows we're dust. That's what the Old Testament says. God doesn't expect us to be flexing faith muscles we haven't got. You know, I mean, some of you here have got muscles in places I haven't got places yet. Because, I mean, you know, some people develop their bodies more than others. But spiritually, we mustn't try and flick spirit, you know, spiritual muscles we haven't developed yet. Let's be happy to start on the small things. Tons. Interpretation prophecy. And as we do that, can you see the faith of Jesus is going to be released in us and we can grow into the other ministries? But don't, for heaven's sake, think you can start there. Now, when you get someone who, through the sovereign will of God, has got a clear ministry of healing, or signs and wonders, terrific, I'm not saying don't let them do it. By all means, let them do it. You know, they pray for me tonight. I'm still ill. You know, if there's someone here who cares. But can you see, the point is that if we're not moving freely in the gifts, that's not the place for the average believer to start. Can you see? I mean, for someone who's got a ministry of healing, for us as ordinary believers to say, right, we'll start there, is as silly as you saying, right, let's start with a Bible teaching ministry like Beresford. Can you see, they are specific ministries. We're talking about these gifts which are for everyone. But if we home in and get 
moving in the word gifts, that is going to be what's going to enable the faith of Jesus to grow in us so we can then move out into the other gifts as well. And we'll be having a look at them very quickly next time. Right, let's have a look at the rules then for prophecy. We've done this for all the others, haven't we? We've seen the rules for tongues and the rules for interpretation of tongues. Now we've got to look at the rules for prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14 again and verse 29. Very important to go by the rules. Don't go by the rules, you can't play Monopoly with me. Yeah. Alright? Now then, let two or three prophets speak. And that reminds me what Julian and Blinda are up to the other night when we were playing Trivial Pursuit. They cheated the whole way through. Can you see? And if you don't go by the rules, it's no fun. It's no fun. The only thing that was good is they cheated all the way through telling each other the answers, and I still won. So that was the only pleasure out of it. Yeah, but can you see? You've got to go by the rules. It's tremendously important. And he says... Let two or three prophets speak. In verse 26 to 28, he's done interpretation of tongues, because that comes first, and then that makes way for prophecy. So in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. Who are the others? Well, everyone. All of us, right? For you can all... Um, if a revelation is made to another sitting by, let the first be silent, all right? So, I mean, sort of like, we don't want, you can, I mean, believe me, you can have a genuine prophecy, but there are people who they get genuine prophecies, but they don't know when to stop. Can you see? And that there can be a time when they're still droning on. The prophecy ended three minutes ago, but they've still got something to say. And, of course, the other genuine prophecies can't get through, because the bloke who gave the last prophecy hasn't made up his mind that he's supposed to have stopped yet. Can you see? So it's all tremendously practical advice. You know, I mean, don't... You see, I mean, sometimes I've given a prophecy, and even while you're thinking, how does this end? You know, and sometimes, believe me, it's easier to just keep going. You know, we've got to watch that, obviously, okay? So he says, if a revelation is made to another sitting by, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And that basically, what we've, do you remember, when we looked at the rules for public tongues and the interpretation of public tongues... We saw that it was basically that there'd be two or three tongues at the most, then wait for the interpretations. And then when you've had the interpretations, then you start again, no problem. But wouldn't it be ridiculous when the 28th tongue has just finished and you're still waiting for the interpretation to the first one? I mean, that's a serious backlog, isn't it? So again, in the same way, in regards to prophecy, he says two or three prophecies at the most, all right? Now, of course, prophecies don't need interpreting. They're in English. He says two or three at the most, and then wait, what's been said? I.e., when you, by the time you've had two or three prophecies, it's vital that one then pauses to assimilate what God has said. Can you see what I mean? I heard a bloke speaking once, and uh, he went to this church. He was really thrilled about this church. So he said, well, there, there were 30 prophecies before the service started. And I thought, is that good? You know, can you see the kind of confusion? And that obviously at that particular church, it was bang, 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 non-stop prophecy. Now that's wrong. It's not wrong for everyone to prophesy. But what is wrong is when everyone prophesies one by one and there's no pause. Because if you don't pause, you can't assimilate what God has said. Can you see what I mean? 
So therefore, by the time you've had two or three prophecies, and maybe they've come fairly quick fire, no problem with that, but then pause to take it in. Because we want to know what God has said, we want to receive the encouragement from it, we want to know if there's anything that requires of us, but also we've got to test it to make sure it's genuine. And that, you know, there's just got to be a pause after two or three prophecies, and then after a pause, by all means, start again. I mean, it's not Paul saying two or three and that is it for the rest of the meeting. Uh, we saw how that would be boring last time in, in an all-night all prayer meeting. I mean, the first ten minutes, you've, you've, you know, you've used up all your options, you see. You know, the next twelve hours is just you talking to God. God's not allowed to talk back. It's not saying two or three full stop, but there's got to be two or three and then a pause for assimilation before the others uh, then start up again uh, and bring more. Now, let's have a look at one of other things about prophecy that we need to know. In verse 32, notice, he says, And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This thing about the spirit of prophets being subject to prophets, I mean, there are two things in there. The one I don't see want to home in on is that obviously if you prophesy, you're accountable. No one must think that they can just prophesy what they like and not be accountable for it, obviously. I mean, if someone prophesies wrongly, can you see, that's a risk we all take. I mean, we mustn't take the ump when someone corrects us. But the point is, what you must avoid professional prophesies. They're at a different fellowship every week, every night, usually. And they just go around with these grand prophecies, and everyone... Can you see, it's costing them nothing. There's no accountability. Can you see? They're just winding their way around fellowship after fellowship, bringing prophecies. That's, that's crazy, because they're accountable to no one. Can you see what I mean? They've got no way of knowing themselves, whether their prophecies are right or wrong or what, because they don't know a thing about the fellowships that they keep going round to, because they're just dipping in here and there. They've got a finger in every pie, as it were, rather than really getting stuck in in a meaningful way in a smaller group of Christians, which we all need to do. But the main thing I want to home in on in regards to that, and the spirit of prophets, the subject of prophets, is that it never gets out of control. The gifts of the spirit are never out of our control. I spoke about the fears that some people have, that if they, you know, say, oh, Lord, yes, give me the gift of tongues, that they'll be sort of flapping around the room, yakking away in tongues, absolutely out of control and, you know, make an absolute idiot of themselves. No, it's not. None of the gifts of the Spirit are ever out of control. And if you ever hear what I would call compulsive prophecy, and you do with some people, some people are compulsive talkers, other people are compulsive prophesiers. That is a sure sign that it's wrong. They can't help it. I've met people. They can't help it. Can you see? So for people like that, whenever they get the prop, bang, they give it. And they're not in control of it. That's always a sign that something is wrong. We are always in control with the gifts of the Spirit. No problem. God never, he doesn't take us over like a puppet. It's not like being demonized. The Holy Spirit always respects our free will. So that's the first thing. It will always be under control. I don't always promise you that the, the reaction of the people who hear it will be under control. Jesus never did anything disorderly in his life. All things must be done decently in order. But look what people did that was out of order in reaction to him. That's different. But the gifts of the Spirit themselves will never be disorderly, even though the reaction to them might be. Can you see the difference there? 
So if you ever see a Ferrari going on, what you've got to find out was that Ferrari caused by misuse of gifts of the Spirit being out of control, or is it simply that what God said got up their nose? Because it's true, a lot of things that God say, says, his people don't like them, and they react, alright? But the point is, the gifts themselves are always orderly, always peaceful, never out of control. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Tremendously important this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophesying. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now here Paul is talking about the gift of prophecy. And he says, test everything and only hold fast to what is good. All prophecy, all true prophecy, will conform to the teaching of the Bible. And all prophecy must be tested by the Bible. And if any prophecy goes fundamentally against what the Bible teaches, it is a false prophecy. Now this is absolutely fundamental. We are seeing that God speaks to us today. He does. He wants to. Prophecy is one of the myriad ways he does it. But what we've got to understand is that the main way that God has spoken to us is through the scriptures. God has got nothing left to say to us that isn't in conformity with the Bible. The Bible has given us everything we need to know. That is why when you meet Christians who are caught up in a new revelation, you know, and it's something that every other Christian has sort of missed for 2,000 years, but now suddenly they've got it. Is it? Be very, very, there is no new revelation. You might get a new emphasis of teaching in the Bible that's been forgotten. But when you get people who get new revelation and new doctrines, this is what God is saying today. Avoid it. Avoid it. Don't have anything to do with it. Unless it ties up with the Word of God. Can you see, anything that God says is merely going to be applying the general truth of the Bible specifically to us. Can you see? So anything that goes against the Bible has got to be rejected absolutely out of hand. Doesn't mean you're horrible to the person who said it. No, you mustn't do that because you're going to make your mistakes as well and you don't want us to be horrible to you, do you, right? <laughs> but it simply means that we must test all prophecy by scripture. That is, if you like, that, that is the contract that we draw up with each other. Can you see? It's got to be under the understanding that all of us are accountable to the word of God. Therefore, I mean, if I come up with a prophecy that isn't scriptural, I mean, it's no use thinking, oh, well, he's been a Christian a long time, oh, can't say anything to him. That's ridiculous. All of us are accountable under the Bible. Can you see? So, if, if someone says a prophecy, and maybe we say, well, look, we're not sure about that, don't take it personally, because it's not a personal attack. We've all done it, no problem. I'm sure we will all do it again. But the main thing is that all prophecy must be tested by the scripture. If it isn't in accordance with the teaching of the scripture, then it's false prophecy. Doesn't mean it's demonic, might just be the person who's got it wrong, or a, a bee in their bonnet, or something like that. Can you see? 
nevertheless it must be tested by scripture and rejected if it doesn't actually tie up with the Bible. Uh, back into 1 Corinthians, we want chapter 13 now. <coughs> and this is the reason why we've got to test prophecy so carefully. Because in verse 9, he says, For our knowledge is imperfect, and our prophecy is imperfect. Is he? That's why it's got to be tested. Prophecy is God speaking through somebody. But believe me, there is not one of us through whom God can speak perfectly. And that's not to do with his weakness, that's to do with our sinfulness. Can you see what I mean? This is why no man is an oracle of God. The only oracle of God is the Bible. And of course, any, any time we're moving in the Spirit, be it prophesying or what else, moving in the Spirit or doing anything in the Christian life, there, there is always going to be that element of, of our flesh lives in it. Can you see? Just the old sin nature. So that's all the time got to be sifted out. So Paul says our prophecy is imperfect. Therefore, that is the reason it's got to be tested. No one has perfect prophecy. And this is why you must never, ever hold people with proven <coughs> ministries in awe. Can you see what I mean? No matter what their ministry is, whether it's healing, evangelist or whatever, you must never hold a man or a woman in awe. Because the moment you do that, you're in danger. And the danger that you're in is that when they do something that's wrong, you're not going to spot it because you're not expecting them to do something that's wrong. Can you see what I mean? And this is why Christians get led round, you know, like they've got little rings through their noses. And all the big speakers, they lead them around from meeting to meeting and they're all there ogling away, throwing money at the big speakers. I'm not being cynical, I'm being honest. People hold other people in awe. There is one person we hold in awe, and that's God. And Him we worship. The rest of us are dust. The rest of us are sinners. Saved by grace, but still sinners. Can you see? And no matter what someone's ministry is, prophecy or whatever, never hold anyone in awe. If you do, you won't be willing to acknowledge when they're wrong because you've got them on a pedestal. So it's very, very dangerous. Never hold anyone in awe at all, regardless of what their ministry is. Uh, one other thing, Romans 12. <coughs> I'm chucking out various sort of like miscellaneous things that the Bible says about prophecy that we need to know. Romans chapter 12, and in verse 6, tremendously important this. <coughs> Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. What Paul is saying here is use the gift that God's given you in the way that he's given it to you. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Do you remember what I said early, earlier about the gifts? Don't start with miracles and healings. We've got to be willing to learn to, to, to crawl and then toddle and fall over before we can walk and run. And it's a tremendously important principle in the Bible. Give yourself time to grow. Don't go for the big stakes all at the beginning. All that's going to happen is you're going to end up disillusioned if you do. And here, Paul says, 
if you move in prophecy, make sure that you move in the gift of prophecy in proportion to your faith. So the point is, say there's someone in the fellowship who is a mature believer, been, been growing in the law for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, years alright? And maybe you've been following the law for three, four, five years, alright? Now, when, when the guy or the lady who's been following the Lord for years moves in the gifts of the Spirit, they can probably do so with a lot of faith. Don't feel that you've got to start off at that same level of faith. It took them years to get there. Can you see? Don't prophesy outside your faith. I'll give you an example. Uh, some years ago, uh, well, in fact, some friends of ours who live in Suffolk, Dave and Tricia, some of you here have met them. Uh, and this is going back years, all right. But after, I, I got to know them after they'd been married for about six, nine months, something like that. And uh, they were in our fellowship in Suffolk, and you know, I got to know them very, very well over the next two or three years. Um, but it, it soon became clear that there were no children on the way, and it, you know, it was a source of distress to them. Do you see? They were distressed that children weren't coming their way, even though they were trying. And so this was something that I prayed with them about it a lot, because it was hurting, they were hurting, they wanted to be mums and dads and they, they didn't have a ch any children and they were hurting about it and then one night I was praying with Tricia, Dave wasn't there but I was praying with Tricia and the Lord gave me a prophecy and the prophecy was as a sign that my favour is upon you she who is barren shall be with child now when the Lord gave me that prophecy I was able to be absolutely at peace in giving it now what happened was that after that, in the weeks that followed, they started to have medical tests. And as it turned out, neither of them could be parents. Independently, Dave could not father a child. And independently, Tricia couldn't mother a child. Can you see? They were really up a gum tree about it. It wasn't that one of them, both of them, independent, it was just that kind of you know, combination of problem, as it were. And so we saw something go from unlikely to silly. <laughs> Can you see? They were physically incapable of having children. And yet, that prophecy had been given. And a little more time went past. And then one day, as he told me afterwards, Dave said he just knew. He he sort of said it was like standing in Jericho when they shouted and the walls came down he said I shouted that morning and uh, you know within weeks Trisha was pregnant and along came Faith little Faith, lovely little girl and in fact when after she had Faith they sort of thought well I wonder you know has God healed us totally or was this just the one off as it were and uh, so Trish went along to have a chat with her doctor because he wanted you know, to sort of be examined and, you know, and Dave as well, to find out if they'd been healed or whether it was just a one-off thing, you see. And uh, so Trish went and the doctor examined her to find out whether she'd been healed or, or whatever. And he now said that she was pregnant. And along came Jonathan. And of course now it's a thorough little production line. But can you see, the thing is that the Lord 
in that the, when the Lord gave me that prophecy, I knew it was going to come to pass. I never doubted it. Because God had prepared me for that. I've been a Christian a long time. Now, therefore, what I'm saying is, don't ever prophesy outside of your faith. Can you see what I'm saying? It's like when you get people who, who sort of say, um, you know, you get prophecies like, uh, then the national revival is going to start in this fellowship tomorrow, <laughs> you see. I mean, the number of prophecies I've heard like that, and it never happens because, quite frankly, no one believes it's going to. If no one believes it's going to, believe me, it's not God's will, it's not going to. Can you see how practical, how sensible this is? Don't prophesy outside your faith. Prophesy within it and you'll find that your faith will grow. All right. <coughs> right, now the ultra-practical bit. We did this with tongues and we did this with interpretations. How do you know if you've got a prophecy? All right, so if it's not this, if it doesn't boil down to these kind of nuts and bolts, it's not a lot of good. You're sitting there, all right, we're praying or whatever. How do you know if you've got a prophecy? Well, we're going over similar ground that we covered last time with interpretation and tongues and stuff, but nevertheless, let's, let's have a crack, all right? You're in a meeting. Oh, meeting, horrible word. You're praying with people, be it at a, a meeting or just round at their house or something like that, all right? And you're praying or whatever. And now, if you get the burden, often it starts with a burden. Don't ask me to describe it. It's, you know, it's just too subjective, but one way or the other. I mean, some people tell me, like, like their art feels like it's going to sort of jump out their throat. Uh, other people get sort of funny, you know, feelings in their left fingernails. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's personal to you. But however it is that you know, you know that you've got a burden. You know, it's that horrible feeling, God wants me to do something. You know, I'm just not going to enjoy this, you know, so if, if I don't do something. And you know that the Lord, what, you're shaking, you're nervous, all right? So you've got the burden. But at that point, when you get the burden, you're under starter's orders, but don't go yet, all right? Don't go yet. You haven't had the gun, all right? Under starter's orders. You've got the burden. <coughs> but then, now sometimes with prophecy, you get one word. You can't test that. Belt it out, all right? Then the rest will come. But the point is that what if you get the burden from the Lord, if you know the, the kind of the content of the prophecy, the feel of the prophecy, test it according to the Bible. Can you see? This is something you can do before you speak it out. Can you see? Don't just blurt it out. Test it if you've got enough. Sometimes you might not have the words of the prophecy, but you get the feel of the prophecy. I often... I more get the feel of God's heart in prophecy than the words. The words seem to be neither here nor there. But regardless, you're going to have something about that prophecy. Test it according to the Bible. One of the things we've seen about it in the five things it does, it's incredibly positive. It encourages you and stuff like that. Therefore, when you get these prophecies, when God wipes the floor with you, you rotten, uncommitted Christians... Pray more, all right? Or it's like you've been praising your heart out for an hour, all right? Everyone's up dancing, and then you get a prophecy. I want you to praise me, says the Lord. Well, everyone is, can you see? Obviously, 
can you see that if it's something destructive and negative, that isn't God? And some people will actually use so-called prophecy because they've got a bee in their bonnet. Can you see? That maybe there's something they've been trying to get across to the fellowship and no one's listening to them. So they think, right, they won't listen to me, but they've got to listen to the Lord. And so they belt it out in a prophecy. Can you see? <coughs> prophecy isn't like that. It's not negative. It's not there to tell you off. It's not there to tell you how rotten you are. And if a prophecy ever indicates something that might be wrong, it also always indicates what can be done to make it right. Can you see what I mean? So therefore, to whatever extent you can, test it. All right, Get the feel of it. And if you get the beginning of the message, test it. Then, if... Everything squares up, nothing unbiblical, not a bad feeling about it, or oh, it's not the Lord wanting to pound everyone into the dust. If that happens, that means that you want to pound everyone into the dust. It doesn't mean that the Lord wants to. But when it's passed those tests, at an appropriate moment, not in the middle of the Bible teaching, at an appropriate moment, not in the middle of a chorus, all right? But when you get a silence, belt it out. Belt it out. Give that prophecy. And don't worry about making a mistake. Also, belt it out in the natural way that you talk. Don't feel obliged to use King James language. It's really not necessary. I heard about one young bloke, he'd been a Christian a few years, and once he actually came to a full stop in the middle of a prophecy and he just couldn't go on. And the reason he couldn't go on was because everyone was just rolling around the floor laughing. And the point at which he stopped was that he hit the phrase, Thou wastest. <laughs> and can you see, there was a bloke who probably never heard of the King James language until he got converted. Someone gave him a King James Version, and there he is trying to prophesy. King James Version language is not spiritual. If it's natural to you, use it. All right. You know, but I mean, for heaven's sake... Let your personality come through. Speak it in the way that you speak. No funny voices, all right? You know, we don't want any sort of, you know, any Anglican creep, as we call it here, getting into it. Just let it rip in the way that is natural to you. And don't worry about making mistakes. We all make mistakes. It doesn't matter if you get it wrong. Remember the test that we came up with last time. Judge yourself honestly. Are you the type of person who is too likely to prophesy, i.e. a chance to be the centre of attention? Are you the type of person who can't wait to get in there? You know, you've, you've got a file, and if you can't remember them, you've got them in your briefcase, and, oh yeah, that one, you know. <laughs> or, are you someone who is unlikely to do it? Remember? Satan warns over the top Christians of the dangers of holding back. And he warns the church mouse Christians of the danger of going over the top. Can you see? So judge yourself. Again, if you're sitting there and the burden's coming, alright, and you're thinking, is this a word from the Lord? Well, if it's the tenth one that you've had that night, it probably isn't. If it's the first one you've had for 20 years, it probably is. Can you see? So what? judge yourself according to the type of person that you actually are. Just one or two things just to end up with. Take notice of what God has said through prophecy. 
Now, I'm, I'm not necessarily an, you know, an advocate like some fellowships that they, they get, they have someone on prophecy standby shorthand, all right? And it's like they've actually got books and all the prophecies ever given to the fellowship is all typed out in books. And I mean, you can end up looking more to the prophecies than the Bible. Can you see a potential danger there? I mean, obviously it's helpful to write them down, of course. Alright, but it is important, whether you do it, I mean, don't go too far with writing them down, but nevertheless, take notice of what God has said. Tremendously important. I mean, what, what is so lovely about a prophecy isn't that there's been a prophecy, it's what God has said in that prophecy. I mean, again, I've known people that if there's been a prophecy, they consider the prayer meeting a success. And if there hasn't, they consider it a failure. Can you see? So when you're with Christians like that, if prophecies come through, what they're concentrating on is, oh, prophecy, the Lord's blessing us. They're concentrating on the prophecy, not what it's saying. Can you see the difference? Take note of what God is saying and drink it in. Let it get inside of you. And if there's anything in that prophecy that needs obedience, be obedience. Uh, be obedient to it. I, I heard a story once, a guy, he was in a fellowship, <coughs> and, um, you know, they were singing choruses and worshipping, which was no problem at all. And it was in a very kind of happy, happy type of worship, which is great, jumping up and down the tambourines. But a prophecy came through, all right, and they tested it and witnessed that it was, was the Lord. The prophecy came through, and it was in fact some words of scripture from James, weep with those who weep, all right? So that came through, and obviously there were people in that fellowship who needed to be drawn alongside to share their pain. And the prophecy came through, weep with those who weep. They tested it, they said, that's of the Lord. Then two minutes later, they're all jumping up and down on the pews again, singing wild choruses. And a bloke at the back, he said, stop. He said, stop. The Lord told us to weep with those who weep. We know it was the Lord. Why are we singing John <coughs> choruses now? Can you see? Who are these people who need our love and our support in that situation? Can you see? If there's something in prophecy to obey, obey it. But again, I've got to throw this in by way of balance. Again, one's got to be careful. Because when some people realise that, there are always people who will try to direct the meeting via the use of prophecy. Obviously, it's not real prophecy. But if a meeting's going in a way they don't think it should, that then you could have someone who tries to put the dampers or something through prophecy. Again, we're back to it. This is why all prophecy has got to be tested. Can you see? So vitally important. And... Um, and one last thing, and it's this. If you ever receive prophecies, be it to your fellowship or to you personally, that demand radical action, and that these prophecies are clearly part of guidance, the way that God is guiding you, be very, very wary of that. Now, the important thing to realise, we've seen what prophecy is for. It's not for guidance, is it? Now, that doesn't mean that the Lord cannot use prophecy as part of guidance. But the thing is this. If you ever receive a prophecy that requires you to actually change your life direction or, or, or demands 
some radical action. If you ever receive a prophecy like that, then what you've got to do, because the principle of the Bible is on the evidence of two or three witnesses, say, Lord, I'm putting that on the shelf. When I've had that same prophecy two or three more times, then I'll be open that it's you. Can you see? But never act radically, purely on the strength of a prophecy. Can you see? Tremendously dangerous. If God is saying something to you in prophecy and it's really specific, don't do anything about it the first time. Wait for it to come again and again and again. If it's God, it will. If it doesn't, forget it. It wasn't God. Can you see what I mean? So just a word of caution there. There are some people who they are tremendously guided by prophecy. This is their, you know, emphasis. And I've seen people do this. They practically govern their lives by prophecy. It's a disaster. 